So you're getting attacked on two levels. And we hope the disease is vanquished before it and the medicine does damage which cannot be contained. Okay. Your accent's very thick. You ever notice your accent makes things sound worse than they, than they actually are? You could give good news and I'd still be like, what happened to me? I'm still dying? I'm just trying to help you. Romano's bothering him? Who? Ray, Ray, who? Ray Romano, the guy from Everybody Loves Raymond? Who the fuck what show he's on? I'll, I'll fuck this motherfucker up, man. Hey, hey Ray! Hello, Marshall. Fucking problem here, buddy? W would you like to fuck me? Is that what this is? I'll get it, man. What's going on? Would you like me to fucking bend over for you right now? No, man. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of Midweek Matinee. We are doing Funny People. The Judd Apatow 2009 extremely long dramedy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this week we have Brett. Hey, man. How you doing this week? I'm doing well. I hope you've been doing good. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Yeah. I know that too. dates the episode a little bit, but there's nothing like some nice Southern courtesy. <laughs> Especially because it comes out the week after Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> and we have a special guest with us this week, Whitney. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Good. Yes, I'm Whitney. I'm from Lights, Camera, No, if you didn't know. And I told them I would explain what our podcast is. And I don't even really know anymore. We just kind of, we review mainly horror movies. And we kind of point out all the dumb moves that characters make. Like all the mistakes they make in the movie. <laughs> and we, you wonder, like, why would they do that? So, Which is a fantastic thing. Because as much as they will complain, I am the worst in horror movies of being like, why would anybody do that? Oh, I love it. Oh it God. makes me laugh. You should listen to our Halloween episode. <laughs> It's awful. He hated Halloween. How do you hate Halloween? I did not hate Halloween. You act like I didn't rate this movie a four out of five. I mean, I don't, I, I respect Halloween, but I don't love Halloween. So. See? All See? Right. You know what? I this episode Whit is over now. <laughs> Whitney is what I call my people. Where's Chris when we need him? Speaking of which. Yes. Our big boy Chris is not here this week. Sadly. He, I mentioned that the movie was two and a half hours long, and he took another vacation. So. Just coincidentally lined up, right? <laughs> He's he only does this you. on episodes that are two, or movies that are two hours plus. <laughs> he's going to hate you when he's editing this. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was a like a conflicting thing that happened with our normal recording time, so he had to bounce hey, this week. I'll go ahead and tell you guys, I didn't feel good, which is pretty rare, and I was watching the movie having like heat flashes and feeling like I was going to puke. Oh, no. And I was just like, I don't think I can get through this movie. And then Blake finally said, are we still on for a normal time? And I was like, I've got to say something now. <laughs> <laughs> Should have just waited to like 10.50. Hey, guys, sorry, I can't make it. <laughs> I was really trying to get through the movie, but I was so hot and just feeling terrible. And I was like, I just want to lay down and close my eyes and not watch this movie right now. Oh, that's the worst. But, yeah. You got to yeah. watch something like Little Nicky. <laughs> like when you're not, when you're feeling like that, you can just not pay attention mm -hmm. and laugh a little bit, make you feel a little better. Yes. Yeah, my husband always puts on Star Wars. Like that's how we know he's sick. Like we'll mm. hear Star Wars, yeah. fire up <laughs> in the other room, and we'll be like, "Oh, Mike's sick again." <laughs> hey, the fun thing about this though is that my sickness has led us to having our first guest on the show. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So thank you, Brett. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for being sick. Yeah. Man. <laughs> thank you, really, for hey, me. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> Same time next week. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> Brett, this was not your first time watching Funny People, correct? Not at all. What do you think of the movie overall? Do you like um, it more or less on rewatches? 
I think it definitely, because the last time I'd watched this movie was like on the first time I used Voodoo a long time ago. Yeah. Oh, you know what? It was around the same time period, but it wasn't. I bought it on the DVD at the Dollar General they built out in the middle of nowhere that I lived at the time. Yeah, that's the that's only place they have Dollar Generals. Right? Yeah, they just it's pop like up in the, the middle of nowhere. Hillbilly Walmart. Yes, it's always out in the middle of fucking nowhere. And people and use it. Dollar Store, right? Don't you guys have Dollar Store? We have, we have fam. We have Family Dollar and Dollar Tree. Yeah, we have Family Dollar, Dollar Tree, and Dollar General. Maybe I'm just calling them the Dollar Store. Maybe they're all the Dollar Store in my head. I'm the worst about that. <laughs> we used to have one called Just a Dollar. Ooh. But oh, I, I don't know what happened to it. So, uh, but yeah, I bought it probably 20. 20- 11 that sounds about accurate and i loved it at the time but i think now that i have a real at the time i was with my now wife but we were you know still just high school romances yeah at the time more or less as i graduated in 11 so it might have been 12 but anyway i think it means a lot different just kind of watching a movie when you're at a very different stage of your life like i thought it was really good the first time just because it was kind of like what i remember click being where even though it's funny and it's meant to be an Adam Sandler movie, in a lot of ways, it's not your traditional Adam Sandler movie. Right. So I like that aspect of it. But coming back around to it while being a parent and being a husband, I think everything kind of hits a little differently. Being farther in your life and not necessarily doing the career that I wanted to do, you can put yourself in different people's shoes more than you could when you're just watching it as a all of this is happening, but I don't necessarily have a super strong point of connection. So, yeah, I liked it a lot watching it again. Yeah, that's good. What about you, Whitney? Is this your first time, correct? This is the first time I've ever seen it. I had seen clips of it, which I was saying to Brett earlier that they the scene where he's in the doctor's office, he's wearing the Kentucky shirt. For whatever reason, I remember that like making the news around here. They were like, Adam Sandler <laughs> in a new movie and he's wearing a Kentucky shirt. And I don't know why that was a big deal, but I had seen that clip Kentucky's before. just like, we're famous. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what else do we have going for us? So, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it was the first time I'd seen this movie. And I, I do love Adam Sandler. I typically stick to his more comedic roles, but um, like I loved Spanglish. It's been years since I've seen it, but I like that. Mm, his other, I remember liking that one. His other serious roles. I I don't think I've seen Punch Drug Love and Blake's gonna kill me. I still haven't seen Uncut Gems, but that's all right. Nobody fucking has around here. <laughs> I haven't either. But I will say both of I'm you should watch Punch Drunk Love because I don't think that Blake has watched it either. I haven't. It was almost in my purchase stack for like Barnes and Noble Criterion movies today. Mm, yeah. I went and bought a stack and I was like, I think I'm going to get this one. And then I didn't. So I, sh- I should have. It is a really solid, ser- more serious Adam Sandler movie. I mean, I always like that Sandler movies are always still at the heart Sandler movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... You, you'll like it for that aspect if you've ever liked an Adam Sandler movie. We, but it's a very different serious role. Yeah, and gotcha. Blake and I, like, we met through the horror movie club Discord server, and it's all—it's like a running joke that we like have the exact opposite taste in movies. <laughs> like anything he loves, I'm like that movie was awful. <laughs> <laughs> but this one, I didn't—I didn't hate it, but it's not one like that I would have ever picked up on my own. I don't think. And just like, uh, yeah, like, right. watch this. Yeah. Well, for a say, like, even if you don't know that it's a serious Sandler movie, just thinking of a two and a half hour Sandler movie, if you have the idea that it's going to be like fucking Happy Gilmore, something you're like, oh god, yeah. like Happy Gilmore's great, but I don't want a two and a no. half hour Happy Gilmore. <laughs> no, yeah, nobody does. 
<laughs> it's a very different experience at two and a half hours. Well, I was shocked yeah. when I found out it was two and a half hours. I was like, what on earth could they talk about? Like, what could this movie be about? Like, after I read the summary that could last two and a half hours. But they did it. I think Chris put it pretty well. And let me pull up um, exactly what he said. But basically, like, it's too long, but none of it is bad. It's just that, like, maybe an hour could have been cut. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah. I mean, I think length is obviously one of the first things to talk about just because of the fact that it's such an oddly long movie mm-hmm. for what you expect. Again, coming in with the idea of a Sandler movie. So that's certainly there. But I think Chris is kind of right. But also, I think I kind of see what Apatow was going for with this because I think that there's this idea kind of in the background of this movie about just what it is to be human and all the things that humans naturally face like the fear of death and how often the fear of death can make you want to change and look at your life differently and i think one of the things that the length of this movie does even though i do agree that you ultimately could have a very similar movie with probably just as much love for it for the most part with still cutting at bare minimum 30 minutes up out of it. But I think that the length and kind of lingering on things sometimes it gives me the sense that it's about being messy in a way that real life actually just is, which is you're going to see things and linger on things and kind of experience things that as you're watching the movie, you're not entirely certain that they have to be there, but by them being there, it somehow makes the movie feel just a little bit more human. Mm-hmm. In one of the things about being human is just having errors. So while you may look at it and say, "Well, this movie's too long," they could have cut that. I think that's kind of almost the point. Yeah, for sure. I think that's like a staple of Apatow as well. I was just looking, and all of his movies are like two hours plus. Okay. Like even the forty-year-old virgin is two hours long, and yeah, I think you're... is like two hours and fifteen minutes. Yeah. So that's. I think it is. It's like a splice of life, all of his movies are. And some of them, like For Your Virgin, are obviously like a little over the top as as right. a splice of life, I guess, or a character study or something. But they really are just like, oh, here's two hours in this person's life, and it might be boring, but life is also kind of boring yeah. sometimes. The, I, was, well, <clears throat> I was reading the reviews a lot, and everything, but most people liked it. They just, the biggest thing was that it, it was, two and a half hours long and they didn't think that it should have been that long but i kind of agree with blake where it's like well this is life and if you're gonna see what this person you know this aspect of their life is like then you're gonna have to endure you know the two and a half hours that is kind of boring too (laughs) yeah and i think when you're looking at the apatow movies just as we're talking about him i think that clearly when he knows that the idea is is just over the top he knows when to reel it back because like anchorman is not two hours i mean it's still pretty long it's like an hour and 45 minutes was he not the director was he just a writer he was just a writer or no actually he wasn't even a writer on that one was he not nope why am i thinking that he was and he was a producer of anchorman but he was not a writer or director Maybe it's it was very much producer. in line with his kind of movies. That's why. Yeah, it is. Certainly, like I, yeah. I said yeah, and then looked at it and it was wrong. So I agree yeah. with you. <laughs> you would, yeah, you would have fooled me. I really thought yeah. that he had. If it makes you feel yeah. better, Anchorman Two is two hours long. So yeah, and that movie did not need to be two hours long. It Anchorman didn't. Two was not good. But like, <laughs> like an, uh, I actually really enjoyed it. <laughs> I was like, I liked it <laughs> compared to the first one, though. Like, maybe I need to go back and rewatch it now, but. The first one is one of my favorite comedies of all time. Yes. Sure. And it's hard to stack up against that, but Yeah, I mean that that's certainly fair. I mean, 
it's interesting though just looking at his stuff and you know there's a lot of things that people look at Apatow for and I think more often than not he does tell very human stories within his movies and I personally like that doesn't mean that they couldn't necessarily be shorter but sometimes you like the artist for their flaws just as much as you like for their you know yeah perfection or you see the perfection in their flaws so just kind of speaking I guess um on kind of like not to just barrel it down to like oh what are the themes but i think the theme in this movie is really interesting or really i guess it wouldn't be a theme but just like the overarching story of like george simmons like adam sandler's character is like it very much seems like adam sandler in real life yeah (laughs) like i wonder well like besides the dying part just like this the exact movies that were like fake in this movie or like literally movies that he's putting on netflix <laughs> right now right so i i wonder if it was hard for him to make you know what i mean i think he comes across as kind of meaner than he would be in real i don't know i didn't like the character that much i don't like george that much i think he's I, sure the whole time i want him to be nicer to ira i want him to be a better person and even after you know that he's going to be okay he's still not he's still a jerk you know it takes I mean, he makes a comeback at the end, I guess, but I don't know. I just didn't think he was a very great person. Sure. And I want Adam yeah. Sandler to be really nice in real life. <laughs> <laughs> and from all yeah. accounts that I've heard, he's an extremely nice person in real life. Yes. So yeah. I just meant like, I don't know, like the whole time watching it, especially this time, because I haven't seen it in a few years, but it just very much seemed like, oh, this could literally be like an autobiographical film if he really did get sick. Mm-hmm. And if he got better, I mean, we would never know if he got sick, I guess, if he never told anybody. Right. I think I view this movie very similar to to you. Whenever I was going into it, even starting the movie up and kind of remembering what the movie was about, it kind of struck me like, you know, this is kind of like taking reality and using that to fuel your fiction because right. i kind of thought the same thing like you know we have adam sandler which to be fair i'm unsure of his marital status but if you just oh, he's look married and has kids yeah I-, I figured he would but again i wasn't sure of that so don't want to insinuate uh, but when you're looking at it i kind of viewed it as the you know well he's looking back at his career and it looks like he's not really happy with the career he's had and it's almost like you know his return or him wanting to return rather to stand up is like him trying to pull back to the glory days of what he actually liked about his career and not just what fueled the end results of his career which was the big house Mm -hmm. so i like that aspect and a lot of the movie is very humanizing when you think about all the little things like him wanting ira to talk him to sleep because it's like him trying to hold on to that little bit of laura where later in the movie you kind of learn that she was the one who used to talk him to sleep so that's just him trying to pull this part of his life that he thinks is gone and ultimately is actually gone back so like Whitney said, you want to, it's in the movie, it's like you want to like him, but he makes it constantly hard mm-hmm. because you'll have these moments, you'll be like, George seems like he's on the upswing. He's kind of really treating Ira well. He's doing, you know, like he's at least trying. And then right whenever the trying, you know, becomes tough for him to keep going with, he turns into an asshole. Right. And I know that that's kind of meant to be the struggle between the things. And I do like the way that the movie kind of ends with it being more that he had like a little breakthrough that, clearly looks like it's leading him more towards being a thing because early in the movie he has that little quip where i don't help you with jokes you help me with jokes and then he turns that so i think it's like a you finally see his actions matching up with what he's been saying he wants and i think that works because like we talked about in the idea of this being a real movie 
in real movies, things don't just turn around and this big revelation can't turn out to be this great thing where he suddenly gets this girl back and she leaves everything and it all works out. I kind of like that it's more of a real messy situation that ends up in a small victory of him getting a step closer towards what he's wanting to be. And then I like that the movie stops there. And it's like, it's up to you to determine where or to decide whether in your right. mind he keeps that going or if he's just on a constant rocky back and forth. Yeah, I really liked the last scene of them just kind of talking about their jokes and the camera mm-hmm. panning out. It, mm-hmm. was, it was really a great way to end it. I like that it gave you that ambiguity where you could kind of figure out what you think. You can make it up for mm-hmm. yourself. But I agree that I it wouldn't have been as great if, you know, if Laura had left her husband and they decided, you know, that they were going to be together and George and her were going to live this perfect life from now on. It It makes more sense that way, but me being yeah it makes more sense as a movie yeah i'm like maybe he could be a better person and it is gonna all work out for him (laughs) but the whole time i just felt so bad for ira because i kind of just felt like everybody was mean to him not even like his friends kind of sucked and i mean they were funny but they still kind of right. and I'll give you 10 days on your 80, 80 week plan or whatever it was. Yes. 80 day plan. <laughs> and, I, and I get that he did dick over uh, Brent. Uh, Leo. Yes. Jonah Hill's yes. character. Leo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Leo. And by not telling him that George wanted him to do the jokes too, but Leo yeah, it was, was really like, shitty. It was, but I kind of understood why he did it because Leo was already kind of making it on his own and Ira hadn't had an opportunity like that yet. So I could see that side of him being like, well, I don't want to share that. Like I want this for myself. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, think this is really like cream of the crop. Seth Rogen rolls to me. I, I really like Seth Rogen in this role where he's like, you know, he's not an asshole, which I mean, I like Seth Rogen in plenty of stuff. Like even though he's kind of an asshole in 40 year virgin, he's great. But yeah. I like this more <laughs> front man thing where he's a little less confident in himself, but you see him build confidence. I think yes. he really fits that role. Well, and I noticed that it was all in a very small period of time that he was doing those types of movies. But I think that's probably my favorite Seth Rogen era of like genuinely good roles, not mm-hmm. necessarily funny roles because he's had tons of funny roles, but they're not actually good necessary. It's just they make you laugh. Not necessarily like touching. Like he, he plays a good like I feel like he has a good empathetic. He can play a good empathetic character, I think. Well, and like a good reason is my <laughs> she shouldn't have been. Trust me, I'm aware of this. But my daughter would not stop coming into the room oh, <laughs> while yeah. we were watching yeah. the movie. And she would sit for like 10 minutes of time and then go mess around and come back in. And without even watching much of the movie, maybe it's just something about Seth himself. She would, when he'd come up on screen, she's like, I like that guy. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah. I, and I was like, you haven't even seen anything really much happen. His laugh she's is like, just, just so adorable. I, I like that guy. And I was like, I guess he's just, <laughs> it is. I, his, his visual aspects match the the feeling that you want to be like ah man i just want things to go well yeah for the guy he just seems like yes. he's well-meaning he he kind of so. plays a similar character in um his recent movie long shot with charlie sarah yeah. in it it's kind of i want to see that one it's similar like his that type of role sure and i think he plays it in other stuff to mm-hmm. various degrees like of course it's such a crazy movie title so i don't, I don't know if if some people, I think, would have probably avoided it from that alone, but I don't think this is this is that different from who he is in Zach and Miri make a porno. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I, it's also actually a really good role. Oh, that movie's great. Mm-hmm. It is a very good movie. <laughs> Seth like Rogen in his prime, like, can't be topped, I don't think. Like, he's one of the all-time great comedic actors, in my opinion, just based on that, like, five-year stretch. 
Yeah, he's got a killer five-year stretch. I mean, and yeah. I think that you know when you look at it, uh, there's clearly people who have made more money and higher-rated movies. Like, there's a five-year stretch of Jim Carrey that's just insanity, right? But, yeah, for sure. You know, yeah, it's certainly. I mean, if you had that, any if any actor slash comedian had that kind of five-year run, you're doing right. amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, so Seth Rogen's clearly moved on to do great things but yeah i, I do mean, think that there was something really about that era there's a lot of great movies yeah from 05 to just to funny people 09 40 year old virgin knocked up super bad pineapple express and funny people mm-hmm. like that's fucking insane he kind of reminds me in like of adam sandler in the way that he chooses his roles because i know adam sandler gets a lot of shit for the movies that he does now and mm-hmm. and i don't I don't necessarily love them, but I don't fault the guy because he's honestly just getting his friends together and making a movie. It seems like it just seems like they're having a good yeah. time. And if you had the money to do that and your friends could do that, it seems like something. It seems like a no and get brainer. paid to do it. Right. And, and go to crazy places. Yes. They filmed off an, an, on an island off of Africa recently. Yes. Like, what the fuck? They're just going everywhere making money. Right. And just it bullshitting. seems like Seth Rogen is kind of they, that group of guys have that same sort of thing where they do that where they made like this is the end. That seemed like yeah. one of those movies. <laughs> yeah, you know, they just got yeah. together and had a good time. And he reminds me of Adam Sandler in that way, where he's he doesn't really care necessarily about the reviews and all the stuff. He's just here for a good time and wants to make people happy and be happy. Right. Yeah, and I think that that's a big thing that works for both of those people is that there's a lot of big movies that have the Seth Rogen crew and kind of the Adam Sandler crew where even if I don't necessarily love the movie, there's still parts of the movie where I'm like the genuine. Yes the genuine feeling of all these friends just getting together and working with each other mm-hmm. and just having a good time still comes through on screen. Even if the movie as a whole doesn't necessarily strike exactly where you wished it would have. Exactly. It's like, but there's still something that's innately pure and genuine about this movie that still makes it at least endearing to watch if it's not necessarily good, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I- but what you mentioned about the thing before we get too far away, I know what we kind of meant to do, but Blake touched on it. Is that, you know, we have all these crazy movies going on, but I, I did kind of like that aspect of the movie of looking at it through my own personal lens of like, even if it's not who Adam Sandler is, I think for a lot of people, this is who they build Adam Sandler up to be whenever it's the people who hate on him now. It's like, well, he used to be great. Now he sucks. Right. And that's kind of what this movie is. It's like even him as a character buying into that own thing where it's, I used to be great. I used to, you know, watching old videos of his stand up and starting the movie off with the old Adam Sandler, you know, prank calls and stuff and him having kind of little tie-ins back throughout the movie when he seems like he's having a genuinely good time where he's pulling the voice out of his ass and just being Adam Sandler. Little trivia but as too, George. The Sandler prank calls was from when Judd Apatow and Sandler lived together in an apartment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was like, yeah. I didn't know that they were even good friends in real life. Like I didn't realize that they had done I didn't either. A, I did not a lot of yeah. stuff together and until I was reading up about this movie and saw the research and that that was from when they were roommates and you know those were actual print calls that Apatow yeah. filmed <laughs> of Adam doing that so they're so <laughs> funny too Adam is so funny oh I love so, him so speaking just to get back to Seth Rogen or Ira in the movie I don't I don't the only real big issue I have with this movie and it's not a real big issue like I fucking love this movie but so Ira was bad at stand-up comedy for like all intents and purposes. Everyone was saying he was bad. He didn't get any laughs. And then George hires him. 
and then he's writing jokes for like one of the best comedians in the like in the movie universe you know mm-hmm. yeah did that make sense to y'all no yes <laughs> for one reason okay i think that there was this idea because even my wife was like at the end of the movie which maybe it's just because i like the craft of stand-up so i like looking into the way that people go about writing yeah is a lot of it is you're never seeing him necessarily fully roll out except for the few clips where you see him actually landing the punchline. A lot of his stuff is like, here's the premise of a joke. And I think the one thing about comedians that you'll find is comedians understand what is funny based off of the potential it has to be perfected more so. So in this movie, when you have him being like, hey, you were funny, you had good stuff. I kind of took it personally from what I see, you know, the comedians doing is like a you had good writing capabilities and your basic premises are good but you don't know how to necessarily fulfill those premises the way that you should sure and if you're, you're pulled not back in the landing well yeah he you know he mentions right whenever he's talking about late in the movie whenever he does the san francisco crowd and he mentions that it's he's like oh now you're becoming the ira that i like in real life on your set as well and it's like the more he will stop letting the nervousness and fear of the stage change who he really is and try and lean into a direction that he can be funny so yeah i think it makes sense that where leo was like good at writing and good at going up and selling what he wrote the movie pre- like kind of showed as far as i'm a, a, you know concerned that he had the ability to write but he had to work on the confidence thing and him being kind of pulled up under george's wing gave him the push he needed to kind of build that confidence slowly throughout the movie yeah so it wasn't a huge disconnect for me is all i'm saying sure and i get that for uh, but i just i don't know i just feel like if you are fucking super rich you would like hire someone that's already established and well known and good you know what i mean or maybe not even well known but go ahead i think it was because he called him out on it he did that set at the beginning george Mm. did and then ira went up right after that and kind of made fun of him for being so dark yeah true then when after he was done you know in the parking lot he kind of called him out and said you know (laughs) i would have done the same thing and i think he may have seen a little bit of him in ira okay yeah Um, that's what i was gonna say that's exactly what i think is that there's that too and he's going through this thing in his brain of feeling bad about everything being super apologetic because he's trying to deal with being sick and Mm -hmm. seeing someone that you see yourself in you would of course would want to pull them up into that but i also agree with blake because it seemed i didn't think his it almost seemed like he was writing this ira was writing the same jokes he would tell and they were just people were laughing at them because it was george it didn't seem I didn't think his Fair. jokes seemed that different. And it just seemed like he was getting more of a reaction because, you know, George is saying them versus a nobody is what I took yeah. from it. Yeah, and that, that could and whether, you know, regardless of what viewer may have found the jokes funny themselves cuz comedy is so thing, uh, you know, so objective uh or whatever, not objective. Objective. <laughs> but yeah. No, subjective. Yes. But since comedy is so subjective, I think, you know, what could have been happening there is even just there's a little bit of that in other parts of the movies about how I think industry makes a lot of arts jaded to where regardless of how funny it was, it's about the fact that he was somebody kind of like the girl not wanting to sleep with Ira because he was nobody. But the moment that she had the opportunity to sleep with George, she's doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so- <laughs> it could just be a commentary on that aspect, you know. Mm-hmm. Just to break off real quick on that sex scene, <laughs> when she's like, "Do the merman call?" Oh Do my the merman call. He's like, <laughs> "I love my favorite part 
is how Adam couldn't even keep a straight face. No, like, he was breaking character laughing. while he was doing it. Yeah, I could <laughs> not focus on the fact that I was seeing Adam Sandler have sex, which has been. Oh my god! It, I haven't, and he's not. Well, he's not in Forty Year Old Virgin, but I haven't seen him ever in a sexual situation in a movie. I don't think. I don't think. Yeah, I don't. I don't think either. I mean, yeah, I haven't I think seen right. Punch Drunk Love, but besides that, like. Maybe Uncut in- Gems had some like, le- like stuff that leaned into like, oh, they're about to have sex, but it wasn't yeah. like a sex thing. I, I don't know. That's what the Adam yeah. I know is so pure and just like kind of like goofy jokes. Like to see him yeah. being like in a sexual situation was just <laughs> like, oh no! It was like watching my brother have sex or something. I don't want to. Like, no. <laughs> Do the merman call? <laughs> I told because my wife kind of remembered that I watched it and she couldn't remember if she had. And when that scene was coming, I said, get ready. You're about to hear the mermaid call. (laughs) (laughs) You never forget that. I've not watched that movie in what, like nine years now? But you cannot forget that scene. Whether it's it's because you're seeing Adam Sandler have sex or because of how goofy (laughs) someone wanting to hear, which that plays into that whole thing of like the insanity that that people, whoever it be, will have from the oh it's somebody who's famous yes. I, i'm gonna do some crazy shit like tell him to yeah. do the mermaid call well, and, <laughs> i mean there's somebody for everybody but he is not what i adam sandler is not what i would consider a sex symbol like i can't i mean i'm sure there are plenty of girls that are like oh my gosh adam sandler is the man for me but he is not somebody that i would think of that has a ton of girls fawning all over him because yeah. of how he looks you know, not yeah. not that he's yeah. when he not was real young, he's a pretty attractive man. Like well, on yeah. SNL and stuff. He's not. I think he's attractive, but it's just like when he took his shirt off and stuff. It was like, oh, it's like dad yeah. bod, like not right. necessarily yeah. something. Looks that, like did you uncle. hear? That's hot now. Well, yeah, <laughs> I agree. But I'm just saying, usually they're all like all about the Chris Evans of the world, or you mm-hmm. know, the ones that are super buff right now. Well, so, you know what's funny about that part of the movie is we kind of bumped against it, but the whole, and it's a thing that's going on right now that I don't necessarily agree with, but he, like in the movie, George as a character is very aware of this. You know what he's saying? Like the women love the famous guys. And he says that he's taking advantage of that. And that's something that currently a lot of the times is kind of frowned upon as an abuse of power. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I don't really know that I personally agree with that, but it, it was just interesting in that particular regard that it was, in there like you know it was in the movie and i was like huh that's something that like it's talked nowadays about. in hollywood is not necessarily as lightly spoke about as this movie kind of uh-huh. just he's like yeah, yeah i'm just taking advantage of the fact that these women want to be with me they're often disappointed but <laughs> yeah i i i kind of view it from that standpoint of like if a girl is so infatuated with you that you really don't have to do anything and she just comes on to you is that really i, I mean you could t- you could say you're taking advantage but you're not making them do anything they don't want to do sure yeah and so, she clearly wants interesting to, like you know it's also a story for her to tell her friends too like you know what i mean it's kind of both sides i fucked the merman yes <laughs> exactly dear diary it's last night it's like the the vanity of it all mm-hmm in the biggest sense you know it's like a it's just a page in your diary because it's got to be something crazy well i'm in a couple of like um celebrity gossip groups that are on facebook and the amount of girls that will just flat out just write out and whether or not they're telling the truth who knows but they'll just say oh yeah i met so and so went home slept with him just so i could you know just saying like just so i could have this experience and tell people about it and it's just 
I don't know. It's weird to me that people are so like not necessarily that they should be ashamed about it, but it just like that they're open, like you're saying, like they're openly admitting like, oh, yeah, I knew it wasn't anything. I knew it was only because I wanted, you know, to say I'd done this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like you said, even if they're telling the truth, the fact that it's something that you would be compelled to lie about for the credit that you'd get from it, you know, like the right. the cred. <laughs> <laughs> the street cred. Yeah. <laughs> The internet cred as it is these days. But yeah, the fact that that's something that people are compelled to lie about just goes to show that there's an obsession with Hollywood and fame. Mm -hmm. And this movie definitely does a lot to talk about it. (laughs) The funny, another funny part is, um, and I'm going to pull a Brett here and talk about a callback later in the movie about something that happened earlier. Mm -hmm. Every time he has sex, he has a popsicle, you know? <laughs> and when he sleeps with his old girlfriend Leslie Mann's character, um, should have known her Laura. name, Laura. <laughs> he comes back in, and Seth Rogen's like, "Oh my God, you fucked her, didn't you?" He's like, "Yeah, you did. The only thing you're missing is a popsicle." <laughs> oh, it just cracked me up. Right. Like, always right. got a popsicle. Company yeah. always craves. Other people want a cigarette. George Simmons yeah. wants a popsicle. Oh, man. Yeah, there's a ton of little quips and lines and things in that movie that just make the list. One of my favorite little quips is just whenever he's talking to the girl after he has this kind of party where he's celebrating that he's, I, don't, I guess, not necessarily in remission, but that's just the word that comes to mind. But whenever he's better, is when he's talking to the girl that it looks like his agent set him up with and she's talking about the J uh, J dates oh, and yes. then he's like I didn't think Jewish people liked being on a list <laughs> yeah <laughs> and she did not find that funny at all and was- it was one of those things where I love when it's a hit or miss thing right i love sometimes when movies will have our comedians in general will have that thing where they tell a joke and they don't get a response so they explain the joke Uh, yeah (laughs) like you know because of world war ii holocaust (laughs) that whole remission party thing scene was just probably my favorite scene in the movie so much stuff going on i love that the heart to heart that he kind of had about everything came with eminem of all people oh i know my he's like dude yeah, I don't. I wouldn't have wanted to get better, dude. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> this was your out. <laughs> He's like, I can't even go to fucking Target, dude. <laughs> My favorite line in the whole movie, though, is when he doesn't know who Ray Romano is and he yeah. yells at him, <laughs> and Seth or Ira looks at him and says, "What? I thought everybody loved you." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so many. Do you want in to this. fuck me? Is that what you're doing right now? <laughs> I told my wife. This table? <laughs> she remembered that much, so I guess she saw parts of it. She was like, I forgot he was in this. But early in the movie, I was like, get ready for that Eminem cameo. God, it's it was so, so good. Random. I love yeah, it. Yeah, like what a weird celebrity to throw in an Adam Sandler, like Seth Rogen yes. comedy. Okay, but if we're being honest, I think at the time period too, I'm not saying he was the only person, but I think that he's clearly a good fit for somebody that when they go out, they're so there's such a house known name, which is what we're led to believe George is because everyone right. stops him. That Eminem's a good fit for that. Like it's got to be someone who you 100% know that everyone knows. And the reason everybody knows Eminem is a lot like why everybody knows Marilyn Manson controversy by nature of that. You can't go anywhere without someone seeing you and being like, yo, that's Eminem. <laughs> so I think it was fitting in that regard. I don't know that. I don't know if that same speech coming from anyone else 
I'm not going to say anyone else, but there's a very select group of people that I think could give that speech and it land like, yeah, that's that man. (laughs) It had a lot of cameos though. Just that I was shocked at that. I didn't expect to see like just random ones like Paul Reiser. Like I know he's a huge name, but it was just kind of random to see him pop up or. Yeah. um, And Sarah Silverman. Like mm -hmm. I've never seen her in any other Adam Sandler stuff. I don't think I have. Which I mean, it's, you don't have to be in every Adam Sandler thing, but he usually has so, so many of the same people and seeing none of those people in this right. movie was a little strange. Yeah, I think the reason this one worked is because it was trying to be like a tap into looking at like, oh, this is what comedy's like. So by nature of that, you need to have like a bunch of the people that are known for comedy. Yeah. So I think it worked mm-hmm. out. Uh, one of the things I liked about the cameos in this movie was all of the ones that were not necessarily screen time with the actor, but more pictures. Where like he had all these movies that you didn't actually get to see, but he had the one where it was like him and Elizabeth Banks, um, yeah. And I like that all of it was all George Simmons, so not Adam Sandler, but then the real actor's name. So he had Elizabeth Banks. There was one with uh, Mr. Wow himself. I don't know why I'm skipping on his name right now. Mr. Wow, you know, wow. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> I don't know. I can't Owen, Wilson. Oh, Owen Wilson. Okay. Owen Wilson. Yes. Wow. There we go. So, but he had a bunch of those. <laughs> Mr. And if you wow. looked, I thought you were talking about the Sham Wow yeah. guy. <laughs> why, why are you calling Owen Wilson Mr. Wow though? It's the I meme of him name, going, but just, wow. 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 Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but yeah, I like that. And my wife was like, I'm surprised it's everybody's real name. I'm like, yeah, because everyone else in this movie, besides our core cast, right. are the real people that Existing they are. Existing in the real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I love that kind of stuff. It just kind of makes it, it's such a small detail, but by doing things like that, it does kind of make it feel more like you're watching something that actually happened in our world. Right. I thought Jason Schwartzman was a nice little addition too, because he's not in it. I don't think he's in a ton of Adam Sandler stuff, is he? No, absolutely not. And he, I love him anyways. And he, I love the part he played in this just because it was a typical like Jason Schwartzman role, I thought. (laughs) <laughs> it was indeed yeah. i really I, I liked him as mark it was just a really interesting character for him to play he reminded me almost of this very similar character to what he played in slackers where he was just kind yeah. of over the top like braggy even though he had no reason to be like bragging about anything that he was talking about <laughs> oh i know i love that the fact that he had a picture of himself in the apartment yeah. cracks me up so much yeah. And that he thought he could get his friends like other. Well, maybe we'll get Ira a part on Yo Teach. <laughs> right. He's like, I don't want to be on the yeah. fucking show. <laughs> the show sucks. <laughs> uh, I love the scene where because my daughter was in there for that part. Whenever they're on the couch and Ira's like, "You girls are watching Yo Teach." Like, do you like this show? And they're like, "No, this is the worst <laughs> show ever." <laughs> Shout out to the Bo Burnham cameo. Yeah. In the right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was. 2009 like i don't think i even knew who he was till like 2011 or 2012 and i may have been late on that train but i don't think i knew who he was in 2009 i was so stoked to see him in that movie when it came out because i had been following him since his early days on youtube and i remember oh, really? when he first started getting big it was like mind-blowing to me because you know people had that like i followed him from before he was mm-hmm. famous and yeah. i didn't really feel like i had that many of those but that's one, one of, of the them. ones where I'm like, when people are like, do you know who Burr Burnham is? I'm like, do I oh, know do who I? he is? No, do you know who he is? <laughs> Have you even heard this song? Name is January 11th, 2004, <laughs> upload to YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I, this movie, 8th grade, is really fucking good, too, though. 
I've not watched that. I didn't even know that existed. Wait, what is this? Bo Burnham. Made this that is movie? directorial debut. Yeah, that's it's his directorial debut. I, he wasn't in, in it, but no, he directed yeah, it. Yeah, I love that movie. It's it's hard to watch for me because I get sure. the worst. Like this movie was kind of hard to watch because of just secondhand embarrassment, and I can't stand when people are uncomfortable or they're getting embarrassed. Yeah, um, yeah. that actress that played that girl. Just to get off on a tangent yes. here, super good at being awkward yes. and like feeling awkward and making you feel awkward for yes. her. And she does it in. She was in Castle Rock, the second season on Hulu, and she does. An oh, excellent okay. job on that too, making you feel awkward for her. <laughs> yeah, you gotta watch some that actors movie, just have that good. gift. Yeah, I mean, I will definitely have to watch that. It's really good. It's a nice, like, it's a good, like, coming of age movie that really like focuses on a lot of stuff that a lot of I've never seen any other movies really talk about or nail the way that it did. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> so, can we talk about the most underrated part of this movie? Is Jonah Hill pretending to be a cat? <laughs> for the cat videos <laughs> like licking I, his hand and rubbing it all against his head I just like his explanation yes, is the best the plan part yeah. well once they get to and my then I would be like why don't you just put your stand up at the end of it <laughs> we said why don't you say um, it's some it was, I can't remember what actress they used like some actress like giving blowjobs and it would get like a million yeah, hits yeah. and I uh, yeah I, it, it, so here's the one difference I watched the movie on Amazon so that you could watch it with me without issue. I did not get to watch the unrated version. Oh, oh, that, so you that part like was not minutes. in mine. <gasps> the the part about part? the the actress. No, the cat part was. Oh, but, gotcha. the lie. And I've seen the unrated one, but it was a long. It was when I watched it when it originally came out. Yeah. Well, I had the option of like buying the unrated or original, and it was like a six minute difference. I was like, yeah, hey, I'll get the unrated. It's not that yeah, big, that big of a deal. Sure. It's not like the town where it changes the goddamn ending. <laughs> at least yeah. i don't think it does i don't know that i've ever seen the rated version but i assume it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't i promise you it's, it's a lot like other comedy movies where it's just something oh, that they thought was a little jokes. too edgy um, yeah i see yeah i i watched whatever version was on voodoo <laughs> that blake had so can we talk about the thing that dated this movie the most the flip phone the robin williams suicide mm-hmm. joke myspace <laughs> but the robin williams suicide oh, joke did yes. not age well either no this is the one time where I felt like I could mention a joke not aging well and everyone doesn't roll their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as it happened, my wife and I looked at each other and was like, that didn't age well. Uh, Yikes. <laughs> I, but but yeah, MySpace, space. more importantly, seeing this whole movie, I was like, man, if you watch this movie and you didn't even ever have a MySpace, you're going to be super confused that they're over here saying, fuck, fuck Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. It's like When this movie came out, I was already on Facebook, like by twenty, like two thousand nine. I keep saying twenty oh nine. Don't know why. So I don't know anyone that used MySpace that late. Was this big MySpace event like uh, at a weird time? Well, think about when this movie was filmed versus sure, like when 20, it released. Two thousand eight. MySpace was still around. People were kind of starting to do more Facebook. I actually still had a MySpace at this point and really? did not want to get on Facebook because of my. I didn't even use MySpace all that much, but I just liked it because it was mine. It's like I, I have this MySpace. dumb theme and this, you know, my page song. All these stickers. So that yeah. when you go on, you can hear people equal shit by <laughs> Slipknot because I was an edgy teenager. Uh, you know. Mine was all Eminem. Like, that's literally the whole thing. It was an Eminem nice. background. Eminem mine might have been Simple and Clean <laughs> from Kingdom Hearts 2. I don't even remember. Depending yeah, on yeah. the year. So, but yeah, I still had one at this point, but I didn't use it all that much anyway. And I've always done music stuff. So I had a music page. So of course I didn't want to leave it and everybody else is doing Facebook. And I think I finally made a Facebook in 2000, like later part of 2010 because my now wife in high school was wanting me to be on there so she could 
say that we were in a relationship. See, I thought, yeah. I'm surprised because I, I got on Facebook in 2007 and I thought that was late because that was after it was opened up from, used to be like you had to have like a college email address to be on Facebook. Mm-hmm, and right. then, so I thought when I got on it, it was late, but I don't think I had a MySpace in 2007. Well, Whitney, how old I'm older than both of I'm I'm 40. I just turned 40 okay. this year. So Well, that's what I'm kind of curious about is if it's more that it took it took till 2009 for me to start noticing it as being bigger in the younger generation. Mm-hmm. Well, see, by 2009, I'd already forgotten my MySpace login and was like deep into Facebook. Yeah. Like our, at least our school, it probably really depended on your friend groups and your school you went to, at least for our age, Brett, mm-hmm. because sure. all of my friends moved to Facebook. So like, fuck it, I'll move to Facebook too, even though I still really liked MySpace besides the eight friends and the drama that created. Wait, you don't, you don't <laughs> yeah. like ranking your friends for everyone to see every week? And no, Bro, I'm not so in your top bad. eight. I thought we were closer <laughs> than that. I would just fucking alternate every day, like change them up so no one could get mad. It's like, you were on there yesterday. Fuck off, dude. Oh, no. <laughs> I was real Can we work it. back, though? The one part about this that I really liked, and it kind of goes back to y'all saying that uh, Ira's character wasn't really funny. I actually thought the joke he wrote about Tom and Craig from Craigslist getting oh, into yeah. a fight was really funny. <laughs> that no, that's very funny. funny. And he was funny. I thought that the time when he hired him was when he wasn't very funny. Sure. Like and the I, first I mean, couple yeah, times we saw him do jokes, it that was, was like, his eh, worst in the movie. But it was also his presentation of his jokes, too, that made him not. He was so awkward on stage mm-hmm. that it made you even if his jokes were funny i don't even think i would have noticed because i was just like focusing on like how uncomfortable cringing seemed, and they kept <laughs> yeah. focusing on how nobody was laughing and you could hear you know a pin drop in the room and i think though i will say yeah because the first joke he tells where his co-worker was like nah mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> that was where he said his very poorly planned out joke like the joke itself that's kind of what i liked. like the joke of the idea of like i'm just I'm just good looking enough that I'm not ugly, but I'm not so fine that I'm like unattainable. So if I just had a great personality, that's a joke that could yes. work if you actually figured out the way to mm-hmm. say it. But yeah, he did yeah. it so poorly, partially because he's nervous and partially because. So that's what I mean. I like that idea of Adam Sandler potentially seeing this. But I think what really happened is when I started laughing, which I have a very morbid sense of humor. I even laughed as much as it was at the Robin Williams slit in his wrist joke because I. I like the kind of weird shock value that comes mm-hmm. with that. So yeah. the little glass falling in the background and he being like, ah, <laughs> George Simmons just shot himself in the head backstage. <laughs> I cracked up at that shit. Yeah. So I guess for me, I was like, that is funny. And even if it was Adam Sandler slash George just seeing him in that particular situation and being like, well, if you give him the right you know, time to go through, he clearly has the ability to be a good comedian, uh, even on the spot. Mm-hmm. Which I would have liked that to have been more of a uh, character arc for Ira is for George to kind of get him to stop thinking so much and just work on his feet and find that he's he's more funny when he allows himself to. Which, I mean, it kind of was with his thing of like, well, we're seeing more of the real Ira. But if nothing else, that MySpace joke with the Craig thing, as he kept expounding on it, like, you know, Tom has more friends, but Craig has weirder ones that are willing to do much more for cash. I was like that. If I would have heard that in the legitimate stand up, I would have laughed my ass off. That's hilarious. Well, he's really funny, like around his friends, too. Like whenever what's-his-name was talking about his grandfather dying. <laughs> yeah. And they were like... Mark? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were like, with well, a candle flicker. He's like, oh, that was him going to hell yeah. through the candle, <laughs> through the fire. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's one of my favorite scenes of the going. whole movie. <laughs> Every bit of it. The fact that they keep going where it's like, guys, I'm opening up to you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, look, it's not my fault that he's down there with Hitler. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was really funny. I laughed pretty hard at that. Oh, yeah. Good scenes. Oh, man. Another one, too, just to keep throwing out some funny scenes. Um, when George asked Ira to kill him, oh. and I was like, well, give me a night to think about it. He's like, you fucking would do it. <laughs> he was so embarrassed afterwards. He was like, you don't understand. My friend had me convinced he was Joe Pesci's nephew for three years. <laughs> it's like, I believe anything. <laughs> <laughs> I know people like that, so that made Ira even more endearing to me because all the people I know who are that gullible, I'm always just like, you know, the old bait, like, oh, honey. <laughs> <It's Yeah>. just, <laughs> you'll believe anything I say. I have friends that are really easy to mess with, so hearing that was just like, it was like me getting to mess with my own friends and just being like, wow. Yeah, I'm not yeah. gullible, but I'm also like usually like really non-confrontational. So even if someone told me that and I didn't believe them, I'd be like, okay, that's cool. And then I would just think to myself, like, no way that guy is Joe Pesci's nephew. <laughs> I mean, how do you disprove I, that, too, though? Exactly. Like, it's, no, it's weird enough. Like, yeah, dude, I it's am. It's weird like, enough what? to believe, too. Right. It's like, why would Especially now, in like that? 2020, like, who's talking about Joe Pesci like that? <laughs> Man, the, the, the little, like, you know, like I said, the, the little jokes in this movie just really add up, like small things that are just hard to forget because they're just so ridiculous when they're talking about Daisy, which is Aubrey Plaza's character yeah. at the beginning of the movie when they're setting the 10 day rule. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you know, Daisy from, he's like, oh yeah, she's mousy. Yeah. But like a mouse, you want to stick your dick in. <laughs> <laughs> and from there, how could we not talk about all the times that dick sizes are mentioned oh, in this movie? Oh my gosh. I laughed really hard and so did my wife because one of my ongoing jokes that I just find infinitely funny is saying that I have an aggressively medium penis. <laughs> just because yeah, I like to Rogan. mess with my wife about it. And whenever Adam Sandler's like, when, they, they, I got a very medium dick, I just died. <laughs> <laughs> and always talking about um, Ira's dick. He's like, dude, I can yeah. see it through your pants. Just show it to me. Come on. Just show me <laughs> yeah. one time. When are you going to whip that boy out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you could tell it made Ira so, so weird. He was just like, I, yeah. I the rose gardener that he was like, hey, these are some good looking roses. <laughs> Only a man with a gigantic <laughs> cock. <laughs> make roses this pretty and i like that that background character is kind of like laughing at shaking it up. his head yeah yeah did you guys know yeah ira's oh, characters sorry. no go ahead did you guys know that the plot of this movie is loosely based on the great gatsby and do we think that's real because i don't see i don't see a ton of similarity between the two i'm, I'm gonna to i'm gonna give I've myself away seen... here i've never seen the great gatsby Oh, my oh. Gosh, it's good. It, what, I've only seen nor have I read one, it because I know it's a book beforehand. Well, I've only seen the new one. Oh. I liked it, but it's been a long time. It's a very so good really, book, I and I like the original movie better than the newer one. But the the original is very old, mm-hmm. right? Like the twenties. No, it's set in the twenties. Fifties. Not a silent film. Dude. No, it's. You're right. That would be <laughs> Robert Redford's in it. So seventy four then, see. like seventies. The Great Gatsby. It's. I'm gonna guess seventies is gonna be yeah, that sounds, sounds about right. right for him to be in it um but uh, the book was yeah 74 is when the movie came out i don't know when the book but it's set in the 20s and yeah i haven't seen it in a long time so i can't really comment on how a very they are compared odd. to each other because the well the 
basis of the great Gatsby is just Gatsby is a really rich guy who doesn't really have a ton of friends, but everybody knows who he is. So I guess that's kind of like George. But yeah. Yeah, for sure. It, yeah. I like that. I like when movies kind of pull from older yeah. stories that just touch on very universal human elements. That's one of the most like heart wrenching parts of this movie is actually just watching George start to be friends with Ira and then you kind of yes. see it blooming, like the fact that the first person he calls whenever he finds out he's okay is Ira, and he's like happy and excited to have somebody to tell that he thinks cares about him. And, and then Ira juxtapose in. that with the scene of him coming home and talking to the housekeeper and being like, hey, you know I was sick, yeah. right? And then he's like, yeah, I'm better now. And she just clearly doesn't care at all. Yeah. And that's... I love yeah, that Ira was, running in and hugging him too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's partially why I just kind of... It was so hard to like George, though, because... It just felt like kind of like he used Ira. and For like every moment that he had one of those yeah. moments, it was like the rest of it was just remember who you, who the fuck you are. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let me put you in your place real quick because you're stepping out of line as far as I mm-hmm. see fit. Well, I think that's the issue with being like good friends with your boss mm-hmm. is that as soon it as is. you mess up, even, even out of context of your work, if you just mess up, they're just going to throw it in your face, you know? Right. Yep. Or depending on the person, you know. I mean, there are definitely some great people that are bosses, but yeah, the it when he gets really mad at Ira before Ira goes to the airport. Yeah, he's like sitting sitting in that room. He's like, "Get the fuck out of here!" And he gets up to walk. He's like, "Where the fuck are you going? Sit down." <laughs> I just yep. felt so yep. bad for it. I know I keep saying that, but I just the whole time Ira was just so pitiful. I guess is because he was trying <sighs> to do the right thing. And you could tell he really liked George and wanted to be his friend, but George just w- trying to break up a family. Yeah, he was trying. Yeah, he was trying to say like, you know, this isn't the right thing to do. Like, I'm still your friend, but and George just did not see it that way. Well, you know, there's there's a couple things. So I think that the reason that that's kind of even more sad is because you kind of have this thing of where when you see the fact that George is just so deathly afraid of being alone and not really having anybody that cares for him, that comes up and it makes you even more sad that it's like he can't just get himself together enough to just treat Ira like what a friend should be treated. Mm -hmm. But also the fact that you can tell that the lifestyle he's been living has just jaded George to such a crazy extent because when he's in the car – driving back to LA and he says like, you know, that you're not a friend. And he mentions that like, you know, a friend would have been like, Hey, and I mean, he's not wrong to an extent, but I think that what Ira did was still very much a friend. It was Ira trying to step in George blocking him. So then Ira feeling like the only option he had left was to go try and speak reason into this other person. I agree. And that's a, that's a shame because I think it says a lot about the way George is and, that's sad. A lot of the movie, like you see him talking to his sister and that was like, oh man, that, that was a rough scene of him kind of sitting there and being like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that I don't know you and I'm glad you don't know who I am. Yeah. And even it was weird. Like he had those little hollow victories with his family that I wish would have come a little bit more up in the movie. Like he, he finally made his dad laugh. But that was almost, I mean, I liked that it was human in the sense that it wasn't given too much fanfare. But it's, and it just was allowed to happen, and you get to see it and take it. But I don't know. His family was kind of brought in a lot in the movie just to be suddenly there and then gone for the rest right. of the movie. Yeah, they were only in like two or three scenes. Yeah, it's like I he think, talks to his sister, and then suddenly when he's doing better, he invites his family. 
and his sister and then you see yeah. him he, you see his his sister having fun in the pool and then his dad laughs and says that he is funny and then you never see them again <laughs> right yeah so i do think chris he mentioned this just to bring up his points again because he he messaged me a few points that I, he wanted me to bring up one of them is basically like i said earlier it's too long and a lot could be cut and he said they spent too much time at, at the uh ex-wife's house or the ex-girlfriend's house Mm-hmm. And I wonder if they've cut some of that and added in more of like his stuff with his family, you know. If it would have felt more if that would have felt more yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that could have worked a little better. Yeah, I guess I like what they did. Sorry, Whitney, no, I didn't mean to okay. cut you off. Go ahead. I felt like a lot of the stuff at the at Laura's house was showing him how he's not really good with kids. Like he was trying to pretend he was trying to say, like, yes, I want her and I, I just want whatever it takes to get her back. But then he would have time to think about it and he would start thinking about, oh, are we going to have both the kids all the time? Maybe they split them up because I like the little one, but the older one, you know what I mean? And he just wasn't, Yeah. no matter what he did, he really wasn't cut out to be a dad. And laughing at her like yeah, school video. Exactly. Like Ira was over here and understood why the video was so great to the mom and was sentimental and thought it was so awesome. And George just was kind of laughing at how terrible it was, not realizing that it was a sentimental moment you know, for the mm-hmm. right. And he's like, I've yeah. seen cats on Broadway. That's better than this. Yeah. <laughs> See, but I <laughs> love that fuck? framing <laughs> as fucked up as that is. I love that. Cause it really tells you who George yeah. is. He's someone who has so jaded by his lifestyle, but there's a yeah. line that he says throughout all that. Right. Whenever he's talking to Ira and I think it's Ira. And he mentions like, you know, we don't need to do this or whatever. And then he's like, this is not a good idea. And George says, I know every part of me is wanting to leave. And I was like, yes, that's what we should be doing. But then he <laughs> stops with enough. I, I kind of like that scene where George is like, but I've always followed my gut instincts, which is just to make everything easy on me. Yeah. And I liked the very selfless nature of that. But I also liked that the movie showed that he was so jaded and had lived his way for so long that realistically, like y'all are talking about, he can't even really fathom a life with these kids and he doesn't really it's like he's going to do it but just every bit of it is hesitation and not really wanting to do it but just wanting to do it because he thinks it's the way to make himself happy since he's been constantly making himself unhappy i just kind of thought it showed him as selfish where he it It does no matter what he doesn't care he doesn't care that he might be ruining these two little girls lives he doesn't care if it's not really something that he wants for the long term it was just like that immediate gratification that he wanted because that's what he's so used to. And I think he got used to living his life where he thought he was going to die and was trying to get all this stuff. And now that he had a new chance, he still hadn't gotten out of that mindset that he needed to get Mm -hmm. everything instantly. That line at the very end of the movie where he's like, just because I'm better in my body does not mean I'm better in my mind. Strong stuff. I agree. A couple of things about the, uh, if you don't mind me interjecting for a second. No, go ahead. Blake, the couple of the things I thought about the filmmaking itself that were pretty interesting is, did you notice that like the, the doctor's scenes at the very beginning of the movie when he's getting told about his, you know, leukemia, it's almost got like this really bright overexposed look that yeah. gives it like a dreamy like sense yeah. where it's like, I, I am assuming, and I think it worked in this way if that was the goal is it's kind of meant to portray to you that he's like not even sure of how to take what he's been told. Like, is it real? It's kind of meant to give it a sense of like, Oh, 
it's not of my world, if nothing else. It was like super, over, like just <clears throat> bright and awful looking. Like it didn't look good. Like so, it had to have been for a reason because the rest of the movie looked fantastic. It's a very so, beautifully shot movie. Well, <laughs> just to go off real quick, I was looking at the cinematographer a minute ago. So he has done Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, Catch Me If You Can, Indiana Jones, The Lost World, Lincoln, The Terminal, a lot of um, Steven very. Spielberg stuff, mm-hmm. but also very like beautifully shot movies. So it's just funny that he went from all of that to like, oh, I'll do a comedy yeah. now. <laughs> I think that I says a lot about Apatow, right? I think that that says a lot about yeah, to be people believing in who Apatow is and what kind of stories he wants to tell. Yeah. It was just funny. What a what a list of right <laughs> of movies. So what have you worked on? Oh, Schindler's List and Funny People. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, the same dreamy effect happened a lot in Legally Blonde Two, which is a very different movie. But one me and Haley watched recently. We watched both of them, and it didn't happen at all in the first one. But then the second one, like a third of that movie looks washed out and overexposed like that. And, and I, I don't know what it is. It. It's weird. I don't know. I'm terrible at noticing stuff like that. Awful. I'm so I'm always so engrossed in the characters. I almost never notice cinematography, which is terrible. But well, it's a hit and miss thing. I think part of the reason I've definitely this year I've uh, gotten a little more sensitive to looking at it and really understanding more about why people make the decisions mm-hmm. they make, and then also sometimes just seeing it for a complete mistake is that I've had I filmed two music videos for my group my my music project this year. And because I'm stubborn and wanted the challenge of figuring out how to do it, and my wife had a pretty good camera around that she used for pictures, I was like, well, that's a camera that people use to shoot video with. So two weeks before the first you know, little thing was set up, I just put my head down and was like, for the next two weeks, I'm learning nothing about, nothing except for how exposure set up, what the exposure triangle is, what all these different things come together. So I think lately I've been noticing more when people do it and then looking and being like, that was clearly on purpose oh. versus, oh, this is a situation where it was overexposed and there was little you could do to bring it back. So just to make it work in editing, they did what they could to bring it back down and, and work. But at the, you know, a lot of it was just bad filming. And, and the thing about filming is it's very expensive to film and yeah. more expensive to bring people back to film. So a lot of the times you have to work with what you have. And this, this is clearly a big movie. It could have so been an accident though. Maybe they can get those actors back in to do a scene. Never know. I really doubt it, but you know, a movie like legally blonde, even, I'm sure it was professional enough that they have all the stuff they need to show them accurate colors on a screen that they're able to look at in real time while it's filming these days. It's a great thing about modern filmmaking, whereas me, with a little camera, it looked correctly exposed when I'm looking through the viewfinder, but then when I bring it into my computer, I'm like, that's underexposed, and I have to try and bump the brightness up without completely destroying the quality. So, yeah. But I did gain an appreciation for videography that I did not necessarily have before. I don't, I've always appreciated good filmography, but man. Yeah, I try to pay attention to stuff like that. And if people tell me, like, they're, you know, there are certain directors that always, like M. Night uh, Shyamalan, like, he, you know, with his latest series, uh, Servant, he mm-hmm. does a lot with the color red. And I don't think I would have picked it up, honestly, until I read, you know, the review of the first 
episode. I'm just oblivious yeah. to stuff like that. It's really bad of me. I just am always so engrossed with the characters in the storyline that it could be, it could switch from color to black and white and I probably wouldn't even notice. <laughs> <laughs> it really depends too on like what it is for me. Cause I know, and I don't know if y'all have seen Breaking Bad. I think I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure Brett has. I know. Okay. I have. But it was like four and a half seasons before I realized Marie was always like surrounded by purple. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, holy shit, everything in their house is purple. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to remember who Marie was. The sister. The, the sister, Hank's wife. Oh, Married to Hank, yes, the bald yes, yes. cop. Okay. Her shirts were purple, yes. her purse was purple, her fucking coffee maker and pots and pans were purple. Like, yeah. And I don't know this. I don't understand this. I don't know what purple means. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so I don't know the significance of that. Sometimes Maybe it it's something. just t- sometimes it's just tie-ins to being strong and like setting your expectation of what a character is and what their element is. And that way, when you pull them out of the element and suddenly they're in a frame and in red. a scene where there's no purple, <laughs> yeah. it's even if you don't actually know what's doing it, your brain is like something's weird here, so and she's out of her element. You'll notice it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Because that's what I was about to say for uh, for you, Whitney, is that I I think that for the most part, you know, a lot of what they're doing here is about you getting engrossed in the characters and story. But those little things are just extras. If you choose to see that, it's almost like mm-hmm. visual storytelling that just aids the storytelling yeah. you're already kind of going through. And it's, it's games do it very similarly as well. People call it environmental storytelling, where you do something that's very purposeful, and if someone happens to notice it, it kind of gives them that much more of something to look into the world and see. But a great movie should always be set up to where it makes sense without you having to dig into those things. But once you do notice them, it's an extra layer for you to be like, Oh, that's really cool. And then what does red mean to him? Why did he choose to right. do that? And just keep going. Well, down even the list. as yeah. much like I almost watch only horror. I, it's just what I, it's my go-to genre. Sure. And I didn't know you liked horror. Me? Horror? Yeah. <laughs> um, but even my husband was as much as I watched horror, he was the one that pointed out like it was a couple years ago and he said something. He was like, Oh, they're wearing a white shirt. They're gonna die. And I already had mm-hmm. seen the movie and he had it. And I was like, How did you know that? And he was like, You don't know if somebody's wearing a white shirt that they're probably gonna die so you can see the blood better on their shirt. And I'm like, I I have yep. never I'd never known that. I never thought about that before. I mean yeah. lighter colors. Yep. It's not always white, but white is a very strongly used mm-hmm. one, yeah. Yeah, so now huh. now every time I'm it's one of the main things I think of when I'm watching I'm like who's wearing white. <laughs> he just spoiled well, every yes, movie for every. us. <laughs> think think about a movie like think about a movie like Belko which of course is all about mm-hmm. death but the reason that they do things like having white floors is so that whenever they do die and have their you know little things like heads exploding and whatnot you see that pop against that white background that they fall yep. into. Yeah. A lot of that stuff a is just set up about really too. Yeah. So Really interesting thing. But yeah, filmmaking is always, or things like that are always weird because a lot of the times people don't watch these types of movies, which I would say that this is clearly comedy, but it's also clearly drama. So it's it is dramedy. that dramedy. But I don't think a lot of people look into movies that are very comedy heavy or comma, and expect. Comma? I was trying to mix comedy and dramas. Go ahead. Sorry. Be dramedy. It didn't yeah. work. <laughs> Be I dramedy. To mix it the other way. Drama. <laughs> But people don't expect much of that in these types of movies. So I think when you have that thing where looking at that doctor scene and that was the only time in the movie where something was 
clearly overexposed to the extent of where you know it couldn't have been an accident it just had and part of it's even the way they zoom right it's like they zoom in on the doctor's eyebrow that's kind of furling and it's like him kind of like hearing this and trying to find a single thing to focus on to try and take this information in yeah very human it's like this feels surreal so we're going to kind of give you that, that the character is viewing this in a surreal sense by making it dreamy looking. And then we're going to zoom in on the doctor's face and kind of make you, the viewer, uncomfortable so that you match the feeling that's happening with George. So I like that little stuff. Not that it has to be there, and I think the story works perfectly without it, but it's cool. I love that the other doctor brought back the Die Hard reference <laughs> at yeah. the party. Yes. <laughs> he like went and watched Die Hard just because of I him. know made me like it a little bit more <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah every bit of that was actually pretty great and his little you know coming back into the thing and being like keep you guy yeah <laughs> 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 uh, that's good that uh, is fantastic so the last really kind of big thing that i wanted to talk about or at least in my notes that i'm remembering is eric banna's character clark and just how funny he was and how nice he was to George, like, despite it being an ex of his wife and everything. Mm-hmm. And I love the aspect that he hated him until he found out. He was out dying. He was, yeah. <laughs> and then he loved him. And he was like, but I, I want to like him. <laughs> <laughs> I love when he walked in. Um, I think George was walked in first and he was like... Uh, so how would the comedy show? He's like, well, they didn't boo me off. And then like 10 <laughs> seconds later, Ira walks in. He goes, yeah, they didn't boo me off. So <laughs> I love the little thing. of I already said that. <laughs> I just <Yeah>. said that. <laughs> <laughs> But everything about George and Clark's like very short time on screen together was so good from even up into the fighting. And like uh, George is watching TV or watching his own movie with the girls and Clark walks in. He goes, you outside now. She goes, is he in trouble? He goes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that because it showed that even though Clark in a lot of ways ended up being like, you know, what Laura said was she found someone who was basically just like George, which I don't think was necessarily true. I mean, they're both egomaniacs in their own sense. But yeah. I think that the fact that Clark coming home and like being able to kind of separate the girls off that way and like stop and be like, you know, we're a family. I'm going to come back home. It's like his ability to so quickly tap into what the real problem was and what he knows he needs to do to fix it and what he's willing to do to fix it was so different than Adam Sandler, George's character to where you're just kind of looking and being like, for as much as he is an asshole in some ways. And yeah, he did cheat and you know, they go through all that. And I, I still think that that was a good scene of like showing that he is a family man for all of his other flaws, whatever they may be, which is up to Laura and him to determine what's worth. He is still clearly a dad and he takes that dad role seriously and he clearly loves his kids. And I just, I like that aspect. It made him much more likable. I thought it does. It yeah. does. It made the you root for them. Great. Even though you yeah. like, you know, not that you necessarily like George and you didn't want her to, break up her family but you still kind of wondered like maybe he is she is supposed to be with george and then you kind of felt bad yeah once you see she's meant to humanize george is what you feel like being the viewer it's like maybe if he can just get her he'll finally be better but you don't necessarily want them to break up because it's like huh for all the bad i also like that the movie sets him up as a bad person before you ever meet him and then when you meet him it's like he's super nice (laughs) 
That's what Seth Rogen kept pointing out, or Iris kept saying. He seems super nice. What do you mean you hate him? <laughs> I, the only part that I didn't like Clark at all was with like the Cameron Diaz conversation because he just kept fucking going. <laughs> like his wife was very uncomfortable, obviously. And he just wouldn't stop. Like, oh, yeah, you were fine, but Cameron Diaz, oh, <laughs> boy. <laughs> Let it go, buddy. Yeah. And her but, mocking his accent. Just the oh whole dynamic God. was so funny. Whenever George is like, is that Jamaican? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What is she doing? <laughs> And then I love his response. Like, are you taking the piss? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, and also just the back and forth, like how she set up that he's the Australian version of George. And then oh, yeah. George is just there like, what the fuck? How is he like me yeah. at all? I'm so much better than that guy. <laughs> Did you see his arms? They look like legs. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Uh, man! Yeah, his whole scene was great though. Even the fight with him was just pretty funny. Oh, the fight's so funny. Yeah, the, the where he's like, oh, "I see what you're doing, Ira. You're trying to distract me, so yeah. I won't hit him." <laughs> Poor Ira in that whole oh, situation. Man. He was like, "I wasn't trying to make anybody fight. I was trying to help." <laughs> <laughs> whenever love- he wraps, whenever he kind of like gets behind and like puts him in like a a hold. Oh yeah, <laughs> and he leans back, and then you see. Eric be like, oh, okay, here we are. <laughs> God. I love when Ira went to leave to go to the airport a little before the fight, obviously, and he was um saying, <laughs> George, like, where are you going? He's like, uh, to buy cigarettes. He's like, why the fuck are you buying cigarettes? He's like, because I'm addicted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I don't really have much else. I think we pretty much covered the whole movie. What about you, Brett? Do you got anything else in your notes? Uh, the only thing we didn't cover that I just found funny is just a little quip, or not even a quip so much as it was just one of those funny moments where he gets told that he's, you know, he Ira gets told that George is sick, and he says, I need you to level with me, man. Are you serious? And he goes, I'm serious, but don't tell anybody. And the next scene is immediately him telling both of his <laughs> yeah. friends. Yeah. I thought that was going to play more into the movie. I thought that that was going to be one, the, one of the reasons that he got mad at Ira. was Like yeah. it got mm-hmm. out that he was sick because yes, of that? Yes, like he was mm-hmm. trying to keep it from the press and everything. And I was afraid him telling Jason Schwartzman's character, was it Mark, that yeah, Mark. he yeah. was going to he just seemed more like the type that he was going to like use that as, you know, information he could use on the set or whatever to say like, Oh, I know this. Well, and like you mentioned, I think uh, when you kind of look, I, even though I knew what happened in the movie, when I kind of thought about the plot of the movie, I wouldn't say I'm surprised, but one of the ways they could have went is that the reason that Laura ends up finding out that he's sick, I would have liked it a little bit more if it was like, because, you know, we, we we saw George call Laura and be like, you know, I'm sorry. And at that point, he knew he was sick, but he wasn't going to tell her because he didn't want her only coming because he was mm-hmm. sick. Or because yeah. he was sick. And I like that. And it would have been really interesting if the way she was introduced back into his life was because it got out that he was sick and suddenly she felt remorse and came. And I think that would have played a little differently. And that would have been a cool way to also put a little bit more tension toward between Ira and George that would have made a little bit more sense. Or at least in a way where you felt like George was more 
he had more reason to be to kind of be that way with Ira. Like, you know, I told you not to tell somebody mm-hmm. and you're the reason all this got out to begin with. And it would have changed their relationship in a way that I think would have been interesting to watch on screen. But at the same time, I clearly enjoyed the movie that we got. But it's just yeah. interesting. Yeah, I was definitely waiting for it to play a bigger part in the movie than it did. I was waiting to come back to that. Yeah, now that you mention it, by the time the movie's over, you forget about that scene. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm I'm also surprised. Like when I first saw, it, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is." Wait, no, that's not what yeah. happens. Why did I think that for a second? <laughs> Which I guess that maybe that's what it was meant to do was subvert expectation. Like yeah. you, as the viewer, seeing that scene would have thought, "Oh well, this is how the world finds out." Right, but well, it's like up in so, the air. Like this movie, was. actually, yeah, yeah. I wasn't going to bring that up. But a lot this. of this movie reminds me of up in the air. Yeah. It's been forever. Especially since with I've like seen that. as we said, it ends very differently than you expect it to mm-hmm. the entire time you're watching it. And this one kind of the same because just being a movie, you expect her to leave her husband and be with Adam Sandler's character and then they're happy and it's over. Mm-hmm. But that's not at all what happens. And I kept thinking about up in the air while watching this one. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. It's it's kind of almost got which I won't say exactly what it is, but the way that this movie kind of plays out towards the latter half with all the stuff that happens between Laura and George, it reminds me of Castaway and the way that that movie kind of ends on him and his wife's relationship as he coming back. Yeah, around. okay. And um, I like that. I'm, I'm actually a sucker for those kind of vague dark endings or not necessarily dark but vague and like not what you expected because again you're yeah. like movies make you think well it's always gonna it's gonna turn out probably all right but i like when these kind of things happen because they're vague in a way that's like well it's sure sad that he didn't get laura back but at the same time he seems like he's on his foot forward so it's up to you the viewer and how much you liked george hopefully you did root for him enough to seeing that ending makes you think well he's you know, he's probably on the step towards being what he wanted to be. But at the same time, if you just really hated George, you'd be like, uh, he's here he is for today, but tomorrow one other thing is going to stress him out and he's right back down to hating everybody mm-hmm. and being alone. Yeah. But hey, Rogan got his girl, so technically it's a happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> True. Aubrey Plaza. He forgave her for yelling at her over nothing. And then. <laughs> I will say. That part of the movie was interesting to me of the whole like him yelling at her or kind of doing the nice Ira, not really yell, but clearly upset. Yeah. <laughs> about you the sleep with him? Thing. We were supposed to have our first date next week. <laughs> well, there's a couple. Yeah, there was a couple of lines where it's like, well, if I'd have known that you were the kind of girl that's going to do that, I would have scheduled our date a lot earlier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that whole thing in general, I, I thought was real interesting because I was like, you know, I don't think like maybe he's being a little overreacting to the way he's choosing to present the information, but I don't think it's weird of him to be disappointed that that's how things yeah, ended up. For sure. I think that he should have been mad at his roommate. And oh best yeah. Friend, though, and not her because like, that's the thing is like, it's not wrong for her to do that. It was wrong for him to do that. And he was yelling at the wrong person. I kind of felt like it was wrong. And of course he wasn't yelling, but the, you know, was, exactly. She was obviously going like, she'd said she would go on a date with him. And then she knows that he's his roommate and she was just kind of like, oh yeah, slept with him too. I don't yeah, know. yeah. No, I don't. I don't think that it's like okay. I think it's shitty. But yeah. you know, you can't be mad at someone when you're not in a relationship. I guess. Right. Like, yeah. You can, you can be mad to yourself, but I guess I don't well, know. I, mean, I don't know what I'm trying. You to could say. use it as a reason as to why you're not going to go on a date with mm-hmm. him, which is kind sure. of her thing. Where she's like, well, I still want to go on the date, and I think he's completely reasonable to be like, well, not yeah. now. Yeah, and for sure. the reason I kind of think that even she was aware that she did something was bad is that when she walks out of the bathroom and sees him, she, she has a look away. in her face like, "Oh shit, I'm caught." Yes. Yeah. 
So clearly yeah, she thought what she was doing was also, if nothing else, not completely morally solid. But, you know, just an interesting thing. I really liked Opera Plaza in this movie for the most part. I always enjoy her. But I, I almost wish she would have played a slightly bigger part. But I guess for the story they wanted to tell, which is focusing more on George as the senior comedian who has it all and kind of showing Ira what getting it all actually looks like. Yeah. Depending on how all you get <laughs> is... I think that works, and I really like that aspect. It's like, if nothing else, even if George, at the end of the day, never got better, and he just kept kind of following his little roller coaster ride up and down, you have that feeling like, well, at least he he gave Ira the feeling of like, even if it means that I'm not funny, if it means I'm less like you, then that's okay. That little line he says. I thought that was a good, I was like, sick burn, man. I liked it. Yeah, very much. (laughs) But that's about it. That's the only other thing I had in my notes. What about you, Whitney? Do you have anything else you wanted to mention? No, I think we covered everything. Okay. um, Tip for future Sandler movies. Don't have sex in those Sandler. For me to watch. For me to enjoy. (laughs) Or just... Implied sex is okay. Yes. Or maybe just, you know, I don't know if I'm that big of your audience. Kiss on the cheek. Maybe don't listen to me. (laughs) Make what movie you want to make. Do what you do. So there was two small things I forgot to mention I do want to bring back up. So the um, paycheck on the pillow always oh, makes me crack up. Move. Yeah, what a dick move. Dick and then move. Rogan, when he was on the double date, quote-unquote, with uh, Sandler in the towards the beginning-ish, and um, he's swimming with that girl, mm-hmm. he's like, do you want to have a breath-holding contest? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it goes down, it comes right back up and spits all in her face. <laughs> I'm just. So I like that he stupid. stayed down for a little bit, and then he was like, "You didn't go yeah. down." <laughs> he seemed way more fun to me. I would have been like, "Okay, let's let's have this sort of contest. Seems fun." <laughs> yeah, me too. I think the thing that made me laugh the most, and we didn't really talk about, it, I could have, is I felt like I know what they were trying to show, but I almost felt like Laura and Ira made a good couple. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I think they're sitting there watching this thing and like they're joking and having a good time mm-hmm. with each other and their rapport with each other seems really good and then both of them are really into the cats tape and I was like huh it's interesting that I kind of see them as a cute couple more so than I see George and Laura as a cute couple yeah so interesting thing too that that reminds me to bring this up because I totally forgot I don't know if y'all know y'all might both know this and this is gonna fall flat but Leslie Mann, Laura, is Judd Apatow's wife, and those are actually yeah. their daughters. I knew that because of This Is 40, where yeah. they play, her daughters are in that too, with Paul Rudd, yeah. and that's, I think I knew that from that movie. That's a semi-sequel to Knocked Up, right? I haven't seen This yes. Is 40. Yes. It is? Yeah, it's, yeah. In, the, it's, the it's same in the same family. world, and it's the same character. Oh, I love This Is 40. I do not like Knocked Up, but I also don't like Katherine Heigl, so that's probably why. Ah, yeah. If you remember, um, she's the sister. Just, she is, and this and in this is forty. It's her character and Paul Rudd, just like it was in that. Oh, and they're the same characters. You just seeing that. them in their own story. I like that. I'm a big I, I'm a big fan of when movies can stand completely on their own, but then you look and it's like ah, there's more of a connection mm-hmm. there if you so see yes, fit. Yes, I love little so, connections. And this is forty. Catherine Heigl and Seth Rogen's characters don't appear back up. No. Oh, okay. No. Huh. I don't think so. Uh-uh. I, it's been a long time since I've seen it now, but 
I, I saw it as soon as it came out, but I do know that the movie is like a pseudo sequel. But yeah, I think that's probably why you don't really know is if you don't think about it, you don't see the people from Knocked Up that would have been your most obvious tie yeah. to Knocked Up. Because I'm trying to yeah. think if there's any other characters that are recurring in that movie but it's been forever since i've seen knocked up so i don't remember yeah i didn't realize that apatow was married to her though i mean that makes sense because she's in a lot of his well, movies yeah and that's their daughter mm-hmm. both of them yeah that's cool uh, which definitely that the little one looked exactly like leslie mann or whatever yes. yeah was. the, the jason siegel is in both of them actually oh he plays two different characters he's in this is 40 okay. and knocked up uh, is he plays Megan a different character Fox in this is 40 or am i remembering wrong I don't recall. I so remember. I wonder if This Is 40 is just kind of a spiritual sequel. I don't if, know. I if, mean, if, 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 uh, like I said, it's the same there, character. So I mean, it, it doesn't matter with Knocked Up. It just happens to be in the same universe. Yeah. I think, I mean, Paul Rudd and uh, Leslie Mann in that movie, to go off on a huge tangent here, <laughs> were uh, really had really good chemistry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think so Paul Rudd has good chemistry the whole with movie everyone. With Paul Rudd's ever that's been his best of, friend. Yeah. That's kind of the problem. It, yeah, is, just, it is a sequel because both references or be, references to both characters are made. And a okay. picture of Allison, who's Catherine Heigl's character, can, can be seen on the wall. And Pete plays Scrabble on his iPad with Ben. So, cool. Uh, okay, cool. I'll have to watch this as 40. That's one I haven't seen yet. Oh, I love it. So, as usual around here, I forgot to warn you, Whitney. Yes. Um, we rate our movies out of five mm-hmm. that we watch. So, Brett, let's hit you first. In case Whitney hadn't thought about it, I didn't mention it. So, no, it's fine. out of five stars, how many do you give it? It's one of those things where I'm slightly torn because I really, really like, enjoy the movie and I kind of don't find any one real fault that I think is enough to where I can verbally explain why I don't think it needs to be a five out of five. So (laughs) I'm going to land on a four and a half because this is a second time watching it and at no point in time that I want to turn it off. Even though I, as soon as the movie started, the entire movie flooded back to me. I was like, I remember everything about this movie, but I was never bored or anything. So it's a very compelling movie to watch and rewatching it. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode with kind of what my life is now was a really interesting thing. And I would, guarantee you i would watch this again in a year or two given the opportunity you know yeah for sure what about you whitney out of five stars um i'm this is gonna be really tough for me i this is definitely not my kind of movie um i enjoyed it while i was watching it but it was also one that i had no problem pausing being like i've got to go fix dinner real quick so i'll pause it and come back and it's not one that i would probably like ever just throw on if I had nothing Fair. else to do. But if if there was nothing else on, I would still watch it. Does that make sense? So it's like I respect yeah. it. It's not one you'd pick, but yeah, I mean, on, it's whatever. like I respect it, but it's you know, it's not something that I love. So for me, it's probably a three out of five. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think that's actually a pretty fair thing when you're coming outside of it being something that's really your mm-hmm. uh, your cup of tea yeah. to an extent. Yeah. So with the curveball of a lifetime, I have Chris's score here. Oh. I was not expecting this score from Chris because he did get a chance to watch it. He just couldn't make it on the episode tonight. But he gave it a four and a half as well. My man. Yeah. <laughs> Pull out my so, Denzel Washington real quick. <laughs> and this is his quote. I don't have any reason why it's not a five. I just don't think I can give it a five. 
it's exactly <laughs> what, what I said. Brett said. Exactly pretty much what Brett said. So All right. Yeah, so I think that's pretty fair. Um for me, I've got to go a five out of five because I fuck. I, I already want to rewatch this movie, and it had been like three years since I watched it last time, maybe two, mm-hmm. and I had it four and a half on my letterboxed. But when a I rewatch went to, actually pushed it up more. Yeah, because as soon as I finished, it, I was like, "Holy shit!" I kind of want to rewatch that like already, and that doesn't happen very often with movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's weird, but this is honestly, as I mentioned when we did Little Nikki last week, this is one of those top at, like Sandler roles for me. Like, it may be my favorite Sandler role. I, I'm not yeah. entirely sure, I, and I've not seen Uncut Gems. Yeah, I was going to so. say, it's my second behind Uncut Gems. So, <laughs> But it's a really good role, and I guess it's, uh, it's fun to see comedians somewhat in their realm but more on the serious side and i find that often my favorite jim carrey roles are ones that are more serious as well because i guess it's seeing that kind of both people in one really come together and what makes them unique while also what's tying them down to be a little more human than their craziest characters like when you watch billy madison it's a good time but that's not a person Mm -hmm. like you don't see billy madison be like i could see that as a real person right (laughs) but you see george and even though like you said you struggle to necessarily want to root for george at all times that makes him feel more like a real person where it's like i don't really agree with what you're doing right now and you feel like a real enough character to me that i can see what you're doing and i could see someone really doing that so it makes it land and sit with me much more so yeah great role for sandler i really i love this movie and i think that i had it as a five out of five before rewatching it and a rewatch again in a future date may push it back to a five out of five i'm not sure yeah like i said it could easily be a 4.5 for me as well i just don't kind of like you said but then i lean the other way i round up i don't have any reason why it shouldn't be a five so, so I just you give, give it a five, five. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so because it is, it is long in the tooth. Like, it lasts long, but there's also, like, I don't know what I would cut because everything in it I like. Like, there's Honestly, nothing I'm like, I'm like, you know, I that understand the length there. is long. Yeah. Yeah. I would have cut so, Aziz Aznari's part. Oh, no way. Randy yeah. was great. <laughs> you know, they apparently he made, like, a documentary Big, that's just about large, Randy. It gotta have it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good joke that I think he butchered. Yes. It went on too long. Oh, I think it was good because of how he did it. <laughs> yeah, I think what's weird is that it's kind of a, an actual Aziz Ansari joke, but I feel like he goes too far. Like he does, he takes it too far. It gets to the point where it's like it goes from being funny to feeling lazy. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. It cracks me up every time. But, but I think I that's also the intention. More at the he, I don't thing think he's talking about to be great. Uh, Ira's character going back to Otto's and being like, he made me a panini earlier. <laughs> <laughs> it's like chicken. Uh, what did he say? I think it was chicken and um, how am I, I going to mess out on what that is? I can't pesto. remember. Now. Chicken and pesto. I did love Rizzo's character too. Also, we're done. Sorry. But I, we didn't even mention Rizza at all. Working at Lotto's. Lotto's my Otto. Or Otto's my Lotto. <laughs> I did mention him, but I could not remember his name because he's such a secondary character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. he is good. Yeah. All I right, love the so, scene of him opening his mouth and looking at the tooth and being like, you see that? On the house. <laughs> On the house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So here I have Chris's pick for the movie next week. And it is Dunkirk, the Chris. war movie, the Christopher Nolan epic. Chris, I know you're editing this. 
I really hope I enjoy this movie because I'm going to tell you right now, I have no drive to watch this movie. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> it's movie. one of like two Nolan's movies that I haven't seen. Uh, but it's okay. I'm willing to watch it because I love you, Chris. And who knows? I may f- I may have a movie I end up loving. You never know. That's the fun of the show. <laughs> so before we close it out, Whitney, one more time, tell everybody what to do and where to find you or what you do and where to find oh, you. Oh, you can find us at Lights, Camera, No. We're on all the major podcasting platforms. So like iTunes, Stitcher, Libsyn, Spotify, all that stuff. And we review horror movies every week. It's usually, I should say, mostly horror. Um, and we kind of just laugh and make fun of the dumb mistakes that characters make. And you wonder why would they do that? So you can find us on all social at Lights, Camera, No, except for Facebook, which is LCN Podcast. So if you want to check us out, that's where you find us. You want to close it out, buddy? I absolutely will close it out. But before I do that, I certainly want to offer a huge thank you to Whitney for stepping in and assisting us, filling in the role. But if you want to catch more of us, you can find me on my weekly PlayStation podcast, which is Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast, every Monday at 12 p.m. CST. If you live somewhere else, do the math. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you want to find us on Twitter, you can find Blake at Popes underscore Blake underscore 92, if I'm not mistaken. And you can find me over at the Triangle Squared one because I'm too lazy to use my own personal Twitter. So that's at Triangle SQRD. You can find Mr. Fr- Chris Figs, who's normally on the show, at Figs, F-I-G-Z-2-1-K. And last but certainly not least, if you like the show and what we do here, head over and support the show with as little as $1 to get the show early is also getting shouted out at the end of the episode as we always do. So our newest patron for the month is Mr. Rich. Thank you, Rich. We've also got Kyle Grimm, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green, my name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popst, Kevin Bacon Bits, Joshua Lago, Eric McAllister, Shadowist, Steven Salazar, the Stonard, Travis Below, Stefan Swanland, Constantly Kinney, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, El Chabib, Jason Clendenning, Tyler B, and lastly, Richard Schaefer. Thank you guys so much. Hello, Looker, and congratulations. You have discovered the secret message. Midweek Matinee is produced and edited by Christopher Figueroa. Music is by Joshua Lago. Thank you for your support and for enjoying all these movies with us. And lastly, please send your iTunes reviews to Old Pink, Care of the Funny Farm.